Well, let's turn to the Lord. Father, you are such a great and awesome and holy, righteous, awe-inspiring God. And what an amazing reality that you've revealed yourself to us, sinful humans who would rather rebel against you and and live autonomously apart from uh, your loving and kind authority over our lives. But we do thank you that you've rescued some of us for your glory, and you're still rescuing those men and women, children, boys, girls, uh, here and afar for your glory. We, we thank you that you've given us Leviticus, God. We don't want to push it to the side. We don't want it to collect more dust than it already has. We want it to get inside of us, God, because that's where the transforming power happens when it begins to uh, get inside of every fiber of our being so that it transforms our hearts and minds to know you deeper, greater, more intimately, and help us to see Jesus rightly as we look at Leviticus 17 tonight. We ask for your help, uh, give clear articulation and understanding and uh, ears to hear with faith and uh, cause your spirit to just move in, in a great and mighty way during this short time that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would, you're tur- as you're turning to Leviticus 17, which is in what Testament? Old Testament, that's right. As you're turning there, you can see on the screen in front of you, uh, we're going to play a little game, see who remembers or who knows it already. This, um, this theme of Leviticus that we, we try to state every, every time we've gathered. Um, you see some blanks there. I'll read it in a minute, give you time to think about it as you turn into Genesis, to Leviticus 17. And we'll see if we can fill in these blanks together. Okay. So the theme of Leviticus, we've been saying Leviticus is about God graciously. You guys provide the answer if anyone knows it. Providing, I heard making, that's a good one. Providing a way for sinful and corrupt people to, I hear come, I heard one, live, live in his presence. Amen. That's right. I gotta use my finger, Pastor Jordan. I ain't got the pen yet. So hope that's readable. Yeah, Leviticus. What is it about? Very briefly, it's about God graciously providing a way for sinful and corrupt people to live in his presence, his holy presence. So we're gonna spend time looking at this chapter. I got the easy portion. <laughs> Brother Rick next week has like, I don't know how many chapters, 18 through. 22, and Jim had a lot, uh, so I'm very thankful that I got a lot of this, I think it's 17 verses, so uh, we're going to read the entire text using the New American Standard uh, Bible. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, and so when you see that, that word, Lord, capital L, capital O, that's not as close, well, I'll zoom in, okay, it's not showing up exactly. Uh, it's a little slow. The capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, 
Many refer to that name as Yahweh. So I may, when I'm teaching, I did it last time, I'm going to refer to that name when you see it as the name of Yahweh because that is how he revealed himself uh, majority in this in these text. So then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel and say to them, This is what Yahweh has commanded, saying, Any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or who slaughters it outside the camp and has not brought it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to Yahweh before the tabernacle of Yahweh, blood guiltiness is to be reckoned to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. The reason is so that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they were sacrificing in the open field, that they may bring them into the, into the Lord, at the, into the Yahweh, at the doorway of the tent of meeting to the priest, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to Yahweh. Sorry, I'm getting a little confused on here. The priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting and offer up the fat in smoke as a soothing aroma to the Lord. They shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons with which they play the harlot. And this shall be a permanent statute to them throughout their generations. Verse 8. Then you shall say to them, Any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to offer it to Yahweh. That man also shall be cut off from his people. And any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them who eats any blood will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from, his peop- from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement therefore I said to the sons of Israel no person among you may eat blood nor may any alien who sojourns among you eat blood so when any man from the sons of Israel from the aliens who sojourn among them in hunting catches a beast or a bird which may be eaten he shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth Verse 14, for as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. Therefore, I said to the sons of Israel, you are not to eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. When any man eats an animal which dies or is torn and remain unclean until evening, then he will become clean. I'm sorry. When any person eats an animal which dies or is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or an alien, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and remain unclean until evening. Then he will become clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. Behold the words of the Lord. Well, we've looked at chapters 1 through 16. We've, we've started on this journey and we've trekked so far up to chapter 17. 1 through 16, we've seen a lot of ritual regulations for public worship, public life of the Israelites. Chapter 18 through 25 describe laws regulating regulating the personal and private holy affairs of the individuals themselves. 
Now, chapter 17, one scholar, Gordon Winham, would say about this chapter that it works, it serves as a hinge linking the two halves of the book together. Now, we've seen on the video before, chapter 16 is included with 17, um, according to that graph. And, and, and so this guy would, would just kind of single 17 out, but they're both working together. As he said, it's a linking, a linking the two halves of the book together. And many scholars have, have entitled this section 17 through 25, uh, they've given it the, this name of the holiness code. And you might, you might understand why they would have done that. And that's based off of the repetitive stress to God's people to live holy lives individually set apart for the Lord. And a key verse being chapter 19, verse 2. The Lord says, you shall be holy, for I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. So that's that, that's that command, be holy. And we see how it looks like for them to be holy fleshed out in those chapters to, to the end of the book. And this is a primary effect of their covenant between Yahweh, Yahweh and Israel. They're to be a set-apart people. They're not to look like the pagans around them or look like how they used to look. They're to be set apart to live lives that reflect the character of Yahweh. So this chapter itself, chapter 17, hinges on verse 11, which describes the virtue of the blood in relation to the atonement, which we're going to get to. We're going to start out looking at these first nine verses, though. Um, so the Lord is addressing throughout the book of Leviticus, he's addressing primarily Moses. We've seen Aaron, the priest, which as far as even last chapter 16, a lot of the addressing was to the priest. But starting here, moving forward, you're going to see a lot of the, the Lord speaking to his people. Again, he's addressing the collective people as a whole. And so he tells them, you're to speak to Aaron and the sons and to all the sons of Israel. And uh, he's, you see, verse 3, that there's a prohibition. Any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, who slaughters it outside the camp, and they've not brought it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to offer it to Yahweh, blood guiltiness is to be reckoned to that man. They're to be cut off. And so what's going on here? God's people, they had been instructed that sacrificial offerings were to be brought to the tent of meeting, a certain location the tabernacle of Yahweh, and offered to him alone. That here we learn that no sacrifices were to be made outside the tabernacle, say, in the open field, but were restricted only in the sacred space that Yahweh had designated. So you hear the sacrificial, you see these sacrificial animals that, that are listed, an ox or a lamb or a goat. All those, each of those animals were used uh, as sacrifices to the Lord. And this word slaughter, in the Hebrew, it's shakat. And it's got a couple of different meanings. It can mean just slaughter in general if you're out and kill an animal. And um, it's also it got a second meaning, meaning to slaughter for a sacrifice. So, the general meaning can mean anytime you're, you're out and about and you kill an animal, you're, are you to bring it to the tent of meeting? Well, that might seem a little difficult or obnoxious depending on where you're at. So is this, people are, you know, kind of um, debate what is this term referring to? Is this referring to just any animal, any domesticated animal in the camp or outside the camp? Or is it referring to a specific type of animal that, a uh, sacrifice that, 
that is in, to be included, or a slaughtering that's to be included for a sacrifice. I'm sorry. So uh, when we consider the context of what we're looking at, the fact that it can mean, this word shakat can also mean to slaughter for a sacrifice, it would seem that that's what we're looking at here, that any animal that is killed in the camp or even outside the camp, and it's, for, it's a sacrificial animal for a sacrificial offering, you can't just build your own little altar and sacrifice to any god you want to or even to Yahweh wherever you're at. It was to become brought into the tent of meeting, a specific designated location. It was to be placed on a particular altar, right? And what's the penalty for not obeying this? Blood guiltiness. It's to be reckoned to them. That's guilt resulting from a murder. That's the same language used in in homicide. It's kind of odd when we're we're talking about animals here. But they're also to be cut off from his people. The end of verse 5, they're to be cut off from God's people. Cast out, removed from community. You could say excommunicated. Some some consider this term to mean um, killed on the spot, but... Probably the act of just removing from the community of, of Israel. And this, is, this has the idea of divine punishment when you, when you see this phrase, cut off. It's, it's Hebrew karath. And, and it, it's connected to other things in the scriptures, uh, acts that, that the Israelites can do and get cut off for doing that. What are some of those things? Genesis seventeen fourteen, a man not being circumcised. In Exodus twelve fifteen, one who eats Leaven bread is to be circumcised. One who, whoever does work on the Sabbath is to be excommunicated, is to be karath, cut off from his people. One who despises the word of Yahweh and despises his commandments, according to Numbers 15.31, is to be karath, cut off. Why? Verse 5. The reason is so that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they were sacrificing in the open field, to Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting. It's, there's some serious issues going on here. We, we, we see in, in verse 7, there's some, something going on, sacrifices and goat demons. Uh, are people taking the liberty to set up their own altars and, and do what they want to, say, if they're outside of the camp and they're not inside the camp where the tabernacle was. Well, if you recall in the patriarchal times, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they they did build private altars to make offerings to the Lord. But this time in Israel's history, a priesthood has officially been set up. And according to Baruch Levin, a a, a Jewish scholar, he says it was difficult for the legitimate priesthood to regulate such cult sites where idolatry and other improper activities might take place. So they were forbidden from setting up personal altars whenever or wherever they desired. So Yahweh had designed a specific way that he was to be approached, that he was to be worshipped, and sacrifices were to be offered by a proper mediator, what we've already looked at, priest. The word Kohen is a priest at the one legitimate altar. To act otherwise was to become your own priest, in a sense, to be your own mediator between you and your God. And to outright indulge in personal idolatry. You know, worshiping whatever idol was convenient and easy at the time. We also see this blending of worshiping practices, syncretism. As they present a sacrificial offering, an animal which was only to be done to Yahweh, 
it's killed outside the camp, and they're offering it in certain maybe field spirits or other imaginary inferior deities. And so there's some, some interesting things happening here. And apparently, according to our text, some in, some in Israel were participating in this demonic worship, being influenced by pagans. They were indulging in idolatry by sacrificing to goat demons. This is a rare term, which Yahweh is clearly prohibiting this cultic rite because, again, spiritual worship was to be reserved exclusively for him. So, but there's something interesting. The scapegoat, the scapegoat that we read about in chapter 16, where is it sent? When the sins are placed on it, where is it that, that scapegoat sent out into? Out into the wilderness. This scapegoat is the Hebrew word Azazel. And many scholars consider that's something that's going on here. They're, these goats are connected to this type of idolatry. They're worshiping um, these goat demons that are connected to possibly the scapegoat. Now, we know very little about these goat demons. It's quite ambiguous, but it's possible that it was connected to the, the idea that our sins are taken away. And so if we're out in the wilderness and we're far away from the camp, um, Maybe there's some sort of magical powers with these goats. And so we'll start praying, saying prayers to them or providing offerings to them. Do you recall the bronze serpent that Moses held up for the people to be healed when they got bit? Do you know what happened to that? What ended up happening to that bronze serpent? How it was utilized later on in Israel's life? Yeah, they, the, the people raised it up and started worshiping it. They made it into an idol. And we see that in 2 Kings. So they begin worshiping this bronze serpent. So it's quite uh, possible that they begin worshiping this, this goat, the scapegoat that was meant to be a vivid picture of their sins being taken away. And they're actually indulging in worshiping it instead of the creator God. Now, Israel knew this was wrong, right? You, can't, you think they knew worshiping goat demons was you think they, they probably, man, it's a good idea. Let's just start, you know, worshiping, giving our allegiance and lip praise to. No, they knew, they had heard, maybe they had forgotten, but they had heard clearly from Yahweh uh, prohibitions against this. In Exodus 22, 20, the word says, He who sacrifices to any god, lowercase g, other than to Yahweh alone shall be utterly destroyed. They had also heard Exodus 34, 11 through 15. Be sure to observe what I'm commanding you to this day. Behold, I'm going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, Hittite, Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather you are to tear down the altars, smash the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, for you shall not worship any other god. For Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their God. You, you hear that last phrase, they would play the harlot with their gods, which is the same phrase that we see in, chapter, in verse 7. When they sacrifice the goat demons, they are playing the harlot. We'll come back to that. Deuteronomy 32, 16 through 17. They made him, Yahweh, jealous with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods who they have not known. 
Psalm 106, lastly, it says, They did not destroy the peoples as Yahweh had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations, and they learned their practices, and they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. So this is a very real, serious act that's happening among God's people. They've strayed so far away, and they play with demons. So... As we come to this verse, this phrase in verse 7, play the harlot, yeah, it's committing adultery. The Bible repeats this phrase constantly throughout the scriptures, com, um, connecting Israel's idolatry with adultery. It's a metaphor used to communicate their infidelity to Yahweh. And they break the covenant with Yahweh to entertain themselves with the gods of the heathen. And this was a permanent statute throughout their generations. Closing out verse 7. This was established as a perpetual practice among God's people. That they were something they were strictly and faithfully to teach their children. So they wouldn't be led astray by foreign deities. They were, they, they were to teach their children. Look, you don't, don't partake in these foolish activities. These false gods. These goat demons. But when you sacrifice. When you participate in a spiritual act of worship. It's not to be done to your own God or whatever you create in your mind or wherever you even want to, but Yahweh has designed a specific place and there's a specific way, a specific mediator that we're to approach him and come to him through, and that's very serious. And if you don't abide that, son, you're going to be cut off from your people. Sweet daughter, if you don't listen to my words and my teachings and instruction and you turn your away to false demons and if you, if you obey what your uncle's doing... You're going to be cut off from the people, and I can't help you. <laughs> they were to teach their children how serious of offense it was to disobey Yahweh. But why? Why cut off? Why? Why were they to be cut off? Because they had signified they didn't want to live under Yahweh's authority or legislation or rule. They were no longer acting like a true Israelite, were they? So, there you go. Be expelled, ejected from the camp. So what did this communicate to an ancient Israelite? What did they understand from Leviticus 1 through 7? Would it, well, what has Yahweh prescribed that should be done with a sacrificial animal or offering? Can you do whatever you want with them? Can you invent your own spiritual worship however you please? No, there's, there's one legitimate altar where animal sacrifices were to be made, and they were to be offered or sacrifice to Yahweh. That was clear. Again, if not, judgment would come and cut you off from the covenant people. One cannot cover or atone for their own sins. They may be reconciled to Yahweh his way by means of a qualified priest mediator, and that's the only way. And again, they, they knew that worship was strictly reserved for Yahweh alone. Though they knew this somehow, just like us, their hearts had compromised with easier Maybe more appealing objects of worship. More, more exciting, a goat demon. However, they learned quickly that there were serious consequences for attributing what only belonged to Yahweh to demonic forces. How easy our hearts will worship and gravitate toward everything, even foolish things, but the one thing that we were created for. Moving on, verse 8, You shall say to them, any man from the house of Israel, or even... An alien sojourns among them. 
Um, and, they, and if they don't bring it to the doorway of tenant meeting, they shall be cut off as well. So it's not just Israel. It's those who are identified with Israel by being called an alien or someone else who's sojourning among them. If, you're, if you have been brought into this people, uh, you have to abide by their rules as well. And they will also be cut off. Verse 10, any man from the house of Israel, from the aliens who sojourn among them, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Anybody hear a word that stands out in this? section any word that was repeated as I read it earlier even one word I'm thinking about did you say it yeah blood that's right what's going on here with all this blood it's not really appealing is it well Leviticus is a bloody scene and so we got to deal with it verse 10 through 17 so what's the significance of blood? Why is it important? Well, clearly they were told that you are not to eat blood. That's the clear prohibition. You do not eat any blood. Again, this, is, this co-aligns, with, co-aligns with other scripture. In Genesis 9, 3 through 5, going back to the Lord and his covenant with Noah, he says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it and from man. So there's that phrase. um, I give you this food, but you shall not eat the flesh with its life, because the life is its blood. Leviticus 7, which we've already looked at, says... Moreover, you shall not eat any blood, whatever. You shall eat no blood, whatever, whether a fowl or animal in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Deuteronomy says, be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. Same language. The blood is the life. You shall not eat the life with the flesh, and you shall not eat it. But you shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that it may go well with you and with your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. An interesting account in the narrative in 1 Samuel. We don't have time to go into it at all, but the people have struck down the Philistines in chapter 14. And it says that the people pounced on the spoil. They took the sheep, the oxen, the calves, slaughtered them, And they ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. How were they sinning? By eating with the blood. 